Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. Called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And if you watch this, how do we say the FCBC? We live, we love, we serve. And we're going to say it again so y'all got it now. How do we do it? We live, we love, we serve. Good. I would tell you to sit, because this is kind of long scripture, but I'll make you stand, get your legs stretched out. Exodus. Four. I want to read a passage of scripture from Exodus 4 uh, that I think speaks to this moment. Exodus 4, beginning at verse 1. It's a few, quite a few verses, but, but bear with me. And I believe they'll put it up on the screen as well. Yes. Exodus 4, beginning at verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that? in your hand. He said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and take it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand in your bosom and He put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, as white as snow. Then God said, put your hand back into your bosom. So he put his hand back into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or heed the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or heed your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it upon the dry ground. And the water which you shall take from the Nile will become blood upon the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either. Heretofore, since thou hast spoken to thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him dumb or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, send, I pray, some other person. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well, and behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart, and you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you what you shall do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take in your hand this rod with which you shall do the signs. Come on, beloved, let's pray. God, we thank you today. We honor you today, oh God, for this moment right now. God, you have been moving in an amazing way in our lives, and we say thank you. Thank you, God, for this season. Thank you, God, for this time. Thank you, God, for this moment. 
merciful, O oh God, it is your grace that sustains us. It is your mercy that holds us. And it is your love that covers us. And for those things, O oh God, we say thank you. God, we woke up this morning with gratitude in our heart, realizing, O oh God, that the fastest way to experience joy is through gratitude. So, God, we are grateful, grateful for your presence in our lives. We honor you, God. We are grateful that you're mindful of you, us. We honor you, God. We are grateful, O oh God, that you count us in the number. We thank you, O oh God. This is our prayer. In your name we pray, and we say amen. Good, remain standing just for a second. I want to just read a portion of that again, really the last verse. And you shall take in your hand this rod with which you shall do the signs. Just do me a favor. Just turn to your neighbor and just tell him one simple word. Neighbor, move. Come on, turn to somebody else. Tell him, neighbor, move. Now put your hands together and give the Lord a hand clap of praise move if you watched fcbc last week the sermon was one word live today it is move move i have been journeying with god for a long time i've been pastoring for 27 years total and been walking with god for probably 37 years what often amazes me about God is not the fact that God calls us to do things that are often outside of our comfort zone, because I've discovered that in my journey, that God will often call us to do great things that push us to the limits of what we may think our boundaries are. It's not that God can do that. That still blows my mind. It is when God calls us to do these great things. It is the timing of God that is rather interesting and unique. Again, not the fact that God calls us, not the fact that God gives us assignments, not the fact that there are things that God may desire for us to do to honor who God is and honor ourselves in the time, but it's the timing of God's movement. There are moments in my journey I wish that God would have consulted with me before God called me to do certain things. I wish there were times that God would have had a conversation first to see how I felt about the thing God was going to call me to do. But I discovered very quickly that ain't how it works. Oftentimes, those moves of God come in ways that, well, we would not choose for ourselves because oftentimes the things we choose are connected to our comfort. And often the things we choose, whether we like to admit it or not, are also shaped by our anxieties and our fears. This is why sometimes the choices we make are connected to the things we desire to do oftentimes don't end up the way we ought, want to see them end up. Because in many ways, the thing that is motivating our engagement is our fear. And fear has a way of pulling you back from the spaces that you may have even been called to. Fear will make you make sense of your comfort zone, romanticize a comfort zone, even when you know that that space of comfort is not the space you're supposed to be in. But fear will make you make the space that you have outgrown make sense. That is the nature of, I think, how our fear moves us. But again, that timing of God, that that timing of God. And, and, and again, it often comes at the most inappropriate times in our lives. 
You ever just wish that God again, not only would consult you, but God would call you to do something bigger than you when you felt best prepared for it. That's the issue. When you felt best prepared, I wish God would have given me more time to prepare myself for the things that God has called me to do, especially the things that push me into the spaces that my fear have occupied for a long time. But it doesn't work that way either. What do you mean? This scene in Exodus is amazing to me because, well, there's so much that resonates, and I think not just with me, but when you read and hear this scene, it resonates with a lot of us, right? Here's Moses. Moses, if you don't know the story, Moses has been on the run from Egypt. He, he killed an Egyptian after seeing an Egyptian abuse an Israelite. And Moses wasn't fully cognizant to a full degree of his true identity. He was raised as a prince of Egypt with all the privileges that came with that. And yet something within him, if you read the story, something within him almost was compelling him to come to the defense of an Israelite who was being abused. He didn't even realize fully at the time that he himself, himself was an Israelite, but he sees it, he stops it. And then he kills the one who was abusing the Israelite. He kills him, and for fear of the repercussions, he fled. He was on the run. He left Egypt, not wanting to return to face the consequences of his actions. And he leaves and he journeys to a place called Midian. And in Midian, in Midian, things start happening for Moses. Watch this. There are some times when we leave from certain spaces that maybe we're supposed to be in and we go to other spaces that maybe we're not fully supposed to be committed to. And we then justify the placement in that new space because good things start happening. You ever had that? When you start saying, oh, yes, I think this happened over here to get me here because it is here that you start seeing things come together in your life. And you then begin to associate good choices connected to good things. So clearly this must have been a good choice because look at everything that is working out in my life. But that is a tricky thing because sometimes the things working out in life have nothing to do with your choice, but all connected to God's grace. What do you mean? Well, let me just digress for a second. There have been moments where I made choices that, well, were not the best choices, but the redemptive power of God to turn those bad choices into my good is an amazing thing. And sometimes if you're not careful, you'll begin to think that those choices you made that were negative were actually the right choice. No, they were not the right choice, but you had a God who was in the redeeming business. Well, let me push it even further. Anybody who's been a part of FCBC for any amount of time knows that I define faith very differently than some people define faith. Some of us define faith like this, and this is not a knock or a judgment. This is how some of us define faith. We will say, and I'll use some of you in here for an example, maybe you were in New York and God was calling you to come to L.A. and you felt the move. You needed to move to L.A. Who does that apply to in here, by the way? Let me see. Yeah, I figured that would get somebody. And so, and so you felt that you needed to be in L.A. for something, God. This is what I was supposed to do. Now, here's the thing. We feel it in our hearts, but then we say this. We play this move. Well, well God, show me a sign. How will I know I'm supposed to show me? Because God watched. And then we get real holy, George. We say things like this. God, I'm not going to move until you make it clear that this is the place I'm supposed to go. And when you make it clear that this is the place I'm supposed to go, then I'll move because my faith says, wait on you, God. Well, here's the thing. That's not faith. It is your need for certainty. And faith and certainty are not the same thing. 
See, when you say, God, I'm not moving until you give me a sign, you know, what you're really saying is, God, I'm not going to move until you can guarantee everything will be okay when I make this move. So then you spiritualize your fear again. I won't move until you make it clear this is where I'm supposed to go. Give me some advance notice that things will work out in this place. But that ain't faith. That's certainty. You're looking for a guarantee that everything will be okay. Faith doesn't move that way. Here's how faith moves. This is according to my definition. Here's how faith moves. My faith is of the, of the kind that says this. When I feel compelled to move in any direction, let's use the L.A. New York thing again, and I'm going to L.A., I'm not going to wait for a sign because that's certainty. I'm going to move in faith, not knowing what will happen. But here's what I do know. I've walked with God long enough to say that when I make this move, one or two things are going to happen. Either one will confirm, A, Mike, this is a good choice, or if it's a bad choice, too, God's going to redeem it. Either way, God got you and me covered, and I can't be afraid or worried about what might go wrong. You can't have a guarantee in life that things won't work out. That's why you got to move in what? Faith. You, you, you see? Now, here, come, here comes Moses again. Moses goes to Midian. He gets to Midian. I'm going to cut to the quick real quick. He, he gets to Midian, and then he meets a woman who will become his wife. They have children, two sons. He, he, he has a father-in-law who's the Jethro, who's the priest in Midian. And he got a good life right now. Remember, he ran, escaping what he thought was consequences, came journeyed to a place called Midian, found a wife, had children, had a job. He was over his father-in-law's pasture, the sheep. He, he didn't mind that. He had a good job. Now, I want you to get this. He had a good situation. Things were going well. This has to be the place I was supposed to be. I mean, look at all the good that's happening to me in this space and in this place. I know I'm talking to somebody. And all of a sudden, one day, I love this scene. It's in the Bible. He's going up with the sheep up to Mount Sinai. And while he's there, he notices a bush that's burning. We know this story if you went to Sunday school. A bush is burning. That was not consumed. And I love this because if you know the story, that burning bush is the beginning of Moses' new season and the call for his new assignment. And here's what it says. It said he was just walking by, minding his business. He looks over and he sees a bush, right? Here's something that I want you to catch. A little subtle, subtle piece of this story that often gets overlooked. It says this, when God saw that he had noticed the bush, it said, then he called him Moses, Moses. I want you to get that. When God saw that he, Moses, had noticed the bush that was burning. Here's what I believe. I, I've been reading that story for a long time. I believe the bush had always been burning. But everybody wasn't paying attention. It said when, notice, when he saw no, Moses turn, when God saw Moses notice the bush, then he called Moses, Moses. He was not, Moses was not offended by the absurdity of that moment. He calls him and he tells him, what? Take off your shoes for the ground you're standing on is holy. And this is the beginning of Moses' new odyssey. God is giving him an assignment. And here it is. Here it is. Again, family, wife, good job. 
things are going well, God. I ran away from this space, found this space, and in this space I found things are good. There's a level of balance in my life I never had before. I'm making more money than I ever have. Everything is going well. I want for nothing. And here comes God beginning the disruption of his well-balanced life. He said, listen, Moses, I got a job for you. I got an assignment for you. Moses is like, why me? He said, don't matter. I got an assignment for you. Here's what you're going to do. You are going to go back to Egypt, right? Because my people are there, and they have not been able to worship me. And I want you to go free them from their oppression in Egypt under Pharaoh. That's the call. That's the assignment. Go back to Egypt, free the people. And get to a place where my folk can honor me and worship me. I'm going to say the third time to hit you. Go back to Egypt. And the interesting thing is that in the text, God never says go back. He just says go. Go to Egypt. For that is the beginning of your new season, your new journey. Now, you already can feel the tension in this scene. This God-sized assignment that God has for Moses. Is connected to returning to what he's escaping from. The very place he doesn't want to be is the very place God said you need to go to. I hope you catch that. And not just go to, but to go back to. Back to the consequences. Back to the bad memories. Back to that space. Now, this don't now take what I'm saying now. You're talking about everything in your life mean go back. No. Because there's some things that God put you out of that God don't ever want you to go back to. That you came out of these spaces and places, and man, God rescued you from those spaces. I don't want to digress, but I mean, when God rescues you from a space, to go back from a place you've been rescued from doesn't always make sense, but that's not the case here. God didn't rescue Moses from Egypt, Moses fled Egypt. And then God said, Go back, and there is the issue. Because, again, if God's assignments were connected to what we believe is palatable for us, I'll, I'll know the word. I wish God's assignments in my life were always things I thought were manageable by me. But what? It doesn't work that way. That those God-sized assignments sometimes, it's about being in spaces that are so bigger than you that all you can do to make sense and survive in the space is to do what? Trust in God. Because see, what I've learned is that oftentimes we do things that are manageable. We don't engage God until they become unmanageable. Uh, there, I know I hit you with that one. It's not until they become unmanageable that all of a sudden you want to talk to God about it. When it was manageable, no conversation pieces from you. Until things started going wrong. God, what are you doing at this moment? Am I, what you mean? When everything was manageable, you wouldn't walk around talking to God. But as soon as it got unmanageable or unbearable, all of a sudden it became a God issue. Before that, you were getting up, doing your thing. You weren't even thinking God for how good life was going at the time. You were so caught up in the success that you forgot that 
Well, who was the giver of the success? And it wasn't that you did it maliciously. You were just flowing in the rhythm and movement of what you thought was your breakthrough point. And then all of a sudden, when crisis hits in the space of breakthrough that is beyond your capacity to handle, now the conversations pick up. Then you want to call somebody. You want to fast with me because I need to figure out what God is doing in my life. We need to pray on this Zoom and we're going to tarry together to hear God because clearly something is off because somehow in your mind you thought that now when things go wrong, something was off. You didn't anticipate things going wrong. When they went wrong, all of a sudden, God, I need you to intervene. You didn't need God to intervene on the good days. You just needed God's intervention on which you could not handle. See, but when you really realize there's nothing out of the scope of God's capability to enable you, then it shifts your thinking. I've shared this story at nauseam in FCBC New York, but many years ago when I was working at Duke University as a university minister, I never forget, I used to take the students there to do service and ministry at this place in Creedmoor, North Carolina, for those who are severely mentally challenged and physically challenged. And we would always do service there on Sunday evenings. And we would get there, and the, the young people who were part of the praise team at the, at the university would come, and, and, and they would be wheeling some people in, and they all had attendance of coming in. And we always left an opportunity, for some which seemed strange, for, like, testimony, right? Now, some people couldn't really speak, and they couldn't really communicate, but they did their best. But it was one day when this young man, you can see he has been struggling to even speak and get words out and communicate. But in his broken words and in his almost seemingly strained words and his, his pain, it, it, his speaking seemed like it was painful to try to get words out. But in his testimony, he said, I want to thank God because today I was able for the first time to tie my own shoes. Blew everybody away. See, something that you think is manageable, but you don't talk to God about. But for him, the capacity to do what many of us take for granted was a reason to thank God. And the truth is, we should all be thanking God for even the manageable stuff of life. Because that's what gratitude is. Gratitude is not, I'm grateful because you delivered me from a jam. Gratitude is, I'm grateful because things are moving right now in such a way that I thank you, God, that I am here and present in every moment. Moses is there. God calls Moses and says, listen, I need you to go back to Egypt. And Moses does what probably most of us might have done. I'm, I'm being honest. There on Mount Sinai, Moses is like, man, no. I can't do it. This ain't for me. You got the wrong person. I mean, gosh, I know I said that to God. Can't be me, Lord. No. God was like, yes, you. You're going. This is what I want you to do. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. It wasn't about Moses' inability that was driving his engagement with God. Again, it was his what? His fear. I don't want to go. Find somebody else. And he was like, God, when I go back, they ain't even going to listen to me. Some of them don't know me. They're not going to pay attention to me. Why would I think that I will go back to Egypt and all those folks, including Pharaoh, would pay attention to me, listen to me? And God said, just go. He said, I'm not able. I don't have the skill set. I'm not prepared for this moment. I didn't have time to prep. I don't really want to go back. I mean, all the excuses for Moses started coming. And then God does something very interesting right there on that mountain. He said, okay, Moses, what is that in your hand? And Moses said, a rod, a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. When it hits the ground, the staff turns into a snake, and Moses runs. He gets shook and runs. I don't want to speak about this for the main of the sermon, but I want you to just get this. 
God said, what's in your hand? Moses says, this staff. He says, good, put it on the ground. He throws it on the ground. It turns into a snake and he runs. The thing he had shifted its appearance and it terrified him. You didn't get that part. The thing, well, let me try it this way. God didn't give him anything for the task. He used what he already had. He didn't, he, he wasn't like Moses, I'm going to give you everything to fulfill this task. He said, Moses, what's in your hand? Which means that what? Moses came to that moment with the staff. The thing that Moses already had is the very thing that God would use if you know the story to perform great miracles. God gives him nothing. He uses what he has. Sometimes we hesitate in moving in certain directions because we don't feel we are equipped to do what we're being called to do. That's not true. Sometimes we have to repurpose what we already have, and it's the repurposing of what we have that enables us to fulfill the call and the assignment on our lives. What's in your hand? Moses said, a staff. And my God, God said, good, throw it in the ground. I'm going to use this thing you got. The thing you had to help shape the sheep and lead the sheep, I'm now going to use it to lead my sheep out of Israel. Moses, he says, go ahead and pick it up. He grabs it by the tail and turns back into a staff. He says, okay, Moses, I know you don't really believe. And if they don't believe that, here's the next thing. He said, take your hand, put it in your bosom, in your cloak, in your shirt. He puts it in. He pulls it back out. It's leprous. Moses is terrified because he already understands that this is a problem. God said, okay, put it back in. He puts it back in. Take it out now. It was clean. I love this scene. Because everything that God is doing to show Moses he's ready is from Moses. I already said that. But here's the next piece. Moses is on the backside of Mount Sinai, Pastor Des. He's out of sight. No one where he's going with the assignment can see him. Boy, you got to catch this. In fact, they don't even know he's coming. But he's there out of sight of people practicing gifts he never knew he had. I heard one time somebody said that every now and again, God will take you to the backside of the mountain and help you practice your gifts on the backside, out of sight. Nobody sees the moments when you go through the struggle now and what God challenged you to learn about you. Those are the moments where God does God's work out of sight. And it's tough because sometimes we crave that recognition. We crave that visibility. But oftentimes God's work to prepare you for the next season of your life is not in front of people. Sometimes you work against what God wants to do by putting it all in front of people. And sometimes those gifts are to be practiced in privacy. Moses is learning about himself and no one else is around. No wife, no children, no father-in-law. He is by himself and he's learning about what he can do by himself. I hope you catch that. He does not send out invitations for other people to come and help him figure himself out. He is by himself, out of sight, on the backside of the mountain, watching burning bushes, hearing voices from heaven, and simply learning what he can do. Your staff is more than your staff. You have gifts that you don't always recognize until the prompting of God shows you what you have. Because oftentimes we move in the safe spaces and safe zones, again, of what we already know. There are so many gifts undiscovered in us because our fear, our anxiety, and our fear of failure prevent us from honoring those spaces and places because we don't want to fail in public. But hold on, you're not going to fail in public when God has you practicing in private. I hope you get that. 
you mad because of what you may desire is the public visibility of your assignment. But you don't want to honor the private practice to help you realize that you are prepared and equipped for this new season. Can, you, can I tell you where you're going to arrive never looks like your journey. OK. Where you're headed will not look like the road there. Okay, I'm going to say it again. The process of the journey is completely different than the place of arrival. But the process is the way of preparation for your arrival date. So that when you arrive, you don't have to doubt what you can do. Because God already has you practicing your gifts. And can I give you this? You don't always even know why God has you practicing this way. Okay, now I'm about to hit somebody. You don't even understand why in this season right now that you find yourself doing things that were not part of the plan at all. You, let's, let's use my New York folk. You came here, wherever you came from, with a plan of where you would be and what you would want to do. And all of a sudden, the plan you had, the vision you had, the dream you had, is not materializing yet. And now you find yourself doing things you had no intention of doing, maybe, maybe, maybe to survive. And now you're doing things. And one day in the midst of doing things you had no intention of doing, you, you get frustrated because you say, what? This is not what I came to do. This is not what my gifting is for. No, you may be right to a degree. But here's the reality. What you will realize when you arrive is that the thing you didn't, that didn't make sense that you were doing was part of the process and journey. And you won't realize how critical it was until you arrive. You just don't know why, because there are some things you learn about yourself, some gifts you discover about yourself that really have no place until you get to the place. Oh, man, I got to say that again. There's some things you discover about yourself along the journey of doing the things you don't think you were supposed to do. That you don't see the place for it, for them, until you arrive to the place that God is calling you to. And ain't it something when the place that God is calling you to is connected to your vision and dream for yourself? And then when you get there, watch this, you realize you look back. And that's why wisdom is always reflective. You look back and say, my God, dots were being connected all along. And I did not know I would need this skill set when I got here because the skill set I learned wasn't for there. Man, you missed that. What I was learning wasn't for there. It was for here. And that's why when I was here learning it, it didn't make sense. But it wasn't for that space. It was for over here. I know that it's happened in my life. There are things I learned prior to even pastoring when I didn't want to pastor. Skills that I thought were irrelevant, I just did because it was something I could do. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I realized when I got to a place, it's a deep thing, I wasn't even looking to go. I wasn't looking to be a pastor. But I remember in grad school, George, I remember working, this is how old I am, at Blockbuster Video. And at the front desk of a hotel, I had no desire to be a pastor. 
And all of a sudden, all that training was about how to engage people and develop people skills and how to interact with people and, and, and making sure people are served properly, making sure that people have good experiences. I had no idea that somehow down the road I'd be a pastor and that same skill set that I learned, helping people have an amazing experience would be something I would use where I was. That's the deep thing. When you just think you're doing what you need to do to get by and survive, you have no idea how it's connected to the place you're going because you don't even know where God is going to lead you one day. Oh, my God, what does that mean? You practice those gifts. Don't be mad about where you are necessarily, especially when you're doing things you didn't plan on because you don't know the way and you don't know the journey. Here's a real headbanger. You don't even know the destination fully because that's what, what I've learned in my faith, that oftentimes the place of preparation connected to the arrival place is connected to an assignment, a destination that I wasn't even thinking about. You ever had the rhythm of the universe and God shift your movements and your agenda and your plans and your expectations and you didn't realize what was happening. You knew in reflection that if you had gotten your way, you wouldn't be ready for where you are. And you may not be there yet, but you've had enough experiences that said, you know what, God? I know I've done it if you haven't. I said, you know what, God? Thank you for not answering that prayer. Because if you would have answered that prayer 10 years ago, I would have messed it completely up because I was not ready. Ain't nothing like asking for something out of time and out of purpose. Yeah. Moses is practicing. And then here's the part. I'm going to be done. I get out your face. God says, okay, if they won't believe the first sign with the staff, the second sign with the leprosy. He said the third sign. He said, you'll go to the Nile. You'll get water from the Nile, put it on the ground, and it will turn to blood. This part made me laugh when I remember first reading the story. You know why? Remember, God is trying to get Moses to go where? To where? Okay, where's the Nile? In Egypt. Moses is saying he don't want to go. God just said the third sign going to come in a place you don't want to go. The sign that I am the one, he said, that you are the one, will come when you get there. The last sign. You get that? With all of Moses' protesting, God already anticipated he's going to do what? That's the third sign. When you get to the place I'm sending you, you get some water from the Nile. That's the part that goes so under the surface that the third sign will only come when you get to the place I'm sending you. Even though you don't want to go, you're going to end up in the right place. And here, it doesn't stop. There are a whole lot of word but in this scene. But God, but God, but God, I'm not able. But God, I don't have the skills. But God, I'm not the one. But God, this is too big. But God, I'm afraid. But God, I don't want to do this. But God, you know my history. You know my story. You know I'm not equipped. But God, but God, but God, making excuses and excusing yourself out of possibility. Continually firing excuses. Why you're not the one. And then everything in your universe is pointing and saying you are the one. But I'm so glad that the movement of God doesn't wait for my cooperation all the time. Because if it waited for my cooperation and, and, and participation, a whole lot of things would not have man been manifest in my life. He says, I can't speak. And here's the part where it says, and God grew frustrated and angry. Like, come on, brother. You came up here with a staff. I didn't turn it into a snake. You came up here with no leprosy. You had leprosy. Now you're clean. And now you're saying you can't speak. 
God said, okay, watch this. I ain't going to let you slide that one. Your brother can speak, right? Aaron can talk good. We're going to use Aaron. And Moses didn't even catch this. This is the only time, Dion, you see this in the entire Bible. The only time God is willing to share God's status with a human being. God tells Moses, and I'll be done. He tells Moses, I'll speak to you. You speak to Aaron, and you'll be God for him. Wait, it's right there. I will give you the words, and you will give Aaron the words to speak. Now, this is deep. God is playing Moses, by the way, if you didn't notice this. Moses said he can't speak, but God said, okay, you're going to speak to your brother. And I'll speak to you, and I'll let you be God for your brother. That's what he tells him. And that scene, it says, and Moses grabbed his staff and made his way. No more excuses. He had to learn to what? Move with the flow and call of God. Maybe in this season for somebody who's here today, maybe you're in this season where you're being compelled to move. And, and you are resisting the movement required in this season. And the deep thing is sometimes you don't understand why in the midst of your resistance, some things are off balance and it feels like you are falling or even failing because you're stuck in the spaces your fear has created. You're stuck in the spaces your anxiety has given birth to. And you're fearful of what? Moving. Because that's all God wanted Moses to do. Moses, move in the direction of the assignment. I know the excuses you believe are legitimate, and they are. But move in the direction of this new assignment. Move in the direction of what you are feeling in your spirit. Because the truth is, you know when God is compelling you to move. You know it. The reason why you, you need people to help verify because you're afraid of moving alone. You want to get people to partner with you. I love the language we use when we spiritualize our fear. I need you to covenant with me in this season so that I can hear God clearly in my life. No, you feel God clearly. You know what you ought to do. Move. Move. In the direction that makes you uncomfortable. Move. With the assignment that scares you. I said last Sunday in service that, or the Sunday before, that oftentimes I've, I've, I've learned to connect God to what I'm hearing with the next assignment when it terrifies me. When the thing God is calling me to scares me, I know it's God. Because the terror is because I don't feel I'm able. But in that moment, I learned to lean well, let me use a song. Lean not on my own understanding. My life is in the hands, the maker of heaven. Move, beloved. Because sometimes it's in that movement that we discover something. I'm going to say it again. Sometimes our hesitation, our fear of moving, right, causes us to be stagnant. And we think that we're playing it safe and being smart by just being still. Can I tell you how you learn that's not always the case? I'm not putting this for everything. It's not always the case. You maintain balance on a bicycle. How? 
if you're on a bike and you're not moving, you. So maintaining balance is connected to moving. I many you know I ride motor I ride motorcycles, and I had a and I had a big Harley Davidson, a fat boy. And man, I love this bike. And I remember before I rode a Harley and got a Harley, I'd always rode we you know we little speed bikes and ninjas and all that stuff. But it was like, listen, this bike is big. Right, you're going from a bike that weighed maybe 275, 300 to a bike that weighed 800 pounds, right? And something I never had to factor in the smaller, faster bikes. I had to factor in the larger bike that was weighed much more than me, right? And what they tell you, when you, I took the Harley class, and the problem is when you take a Harley-Davidson class in the facility, the bike you use ain't but 400 pounds. So it's still giving you a false sense of security because the bike you're about to get costs 800 pounds. So when you turn the 400-pound bike, oh, it's good. Well, they delivered my bike to the house. And I was hyped, had it customized, these fancy pipes and all this stuff so you could hear me from like five blocks away. Got on the bike when they delivered it, started moving. And I was like, cool, I was moving. When I went to make the turn, right, because on a bicycle, on a on motorcycle, you, you turn by pushing. If you want to go right, you push to the right. If you want to go left, you push to the left. But they tell you something. That gets intimidating when you're not used to the weight of the bike. You're going to get this in a second. When you turn, it feels as though all 800 pounds of that bike is falling inside your leg. And the only way to take away the feeling that you're about to fall is to accelerate through the turn. Because your fear will make you do what? Slow down. When you do that, the bike will what? What am I saying? You at that point right now, maybe in your season, where you're about to make a critical turn. Accelerate through that turn. Move. Move through that turn. Don't get still. Don't get stuck and don't get fearful. Keep moving. Keep moving. Right. Somebody's going to say something back to me. <laughs> Keep moving, beloved. You've come too far to get shook now. You've taken so many chances already to get where you are. Don't, don't let your success cause you to be fearful. Because things that give birth to fear at times we don't talk about is success. Why? You get so successful that you don't want to mess up the success, so you want to keep the same formula at play. And you don't hear when God is saying, move. Move from here to there. Move from this place to that place. Move in this direction. I'm getting you ready for the next new season of your life. Move. Come on, do me a favor. Stand on your feet today. Stand on your feet. And I want, I want us to, to pray. And I want to ask Pastor Des to pray for us. 
But I want to pray with some very specific folk today. We're going to pray together, but I want to call some folk forward. If you are in that season where you know, you feel something is on the horizon, you feel it. You, you feel it. But like the analogy I gave, that new thing that's on the horizon requires a new turn in your life, a shift in your life. And you're afraid to do what? Move through the turn. You want to stay right where you are because, well, where I am right now, at least I know it. Where I am right now, I'm cool with it. I feel good about it and things are pretty good. Right. Let me just say this, and I hope I don't offend anybody. One of the most dangerous things that can happen to you when you're on your journey in life is to romanticize mediocrity. Like when you get to a point where you're selling, you know that there's more for you. and You're selling, you know, there's better for you. And you're selling, you know that you have outgrown space that you're settling in. And that's when it's time to do what? So if you're here today. You're in that moment where you're about to take that turn, but you hesitate because it's a little scary. This new season is acquiring things from you that push you to the limits of your fear. If that's you, beloved. I want you to come down today. We're gonna we're gonna talk to God, and don't don't wait for anybody else to come. You just come on and. These moments are the moments that really shape us. You know, at different points in your life, you can look back, remember reflection, and pinpoint, you know what? When this happened, it was connected to this thing I did and didn't even know it was connected. Right? You look back and realize that in the past, this happened because I made this decision. This happened because I, I moved in this direction. And can I tell you something personally? You get to a point in your life where what is required is a courage that you don't think you had because, watch this, success started drowning your courage. Sounds strange. Let me, give, let me explain. Let me explain. To get where you are to experience success you're experiencing, you had courage to make a step you was, didn't know how it would work out. Watch this. You had the courage. You made the step. Things came together. They started going good, blowing your mind. And all of a sudden, God says, no, there's more. But to get to the more requires another courageous step. And then somehow you forgot. I've already made courageous steps in the past. And God has been with me in those seasons. So why would I doubt God would be with me in this next courageous step? This next move, this next season, if you can look back over your life and see all the moments that God has been your escort along the way. Don't now get to a place where you start saying, God, I don't know. Especially, watch this, when what you're being called to is being called from. You hear me? Being called to means being called from. And a lot of times, you're being called from the spaces you've settled in. Like Moses. And then all of a sudden, in the face of the evidence that you are equipped, 
you start making excuses. In the face of the evidence that you're capable, you start making excuses. God is saying, nah, nah, move. Because watch this. If God trusts me and trusts you with this next new season, it's time for you to trust yourself. I want to trust me the way God trusts me. And what? Move. And move. And move. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward.